Turn to our readings from Scripture. Slip in our ears and our hearts to hear what the Lord has to say. First, through the prophet Jeremiah, as he mourns for his people Israel. Jeremiah 8, beginning at verse 18. You who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? Why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. I mourn, and horror grips me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. I would weep day and night for the slain of my people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shalom. Our second reading tonight is from 1 Timothy, the second chapter. Verse 1 starts with the word, therefore. Whenever it starts with the word, therefore, it means, uvchen in the Hebrew, in light of what I just told you. What he just told Timothy was to fight the good fight was to contend for the prophecies that are working in his life. Therefore, says the apostle, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Messiah, not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 16. And it's a tradition that when we hear the words of the king, we stand, please rise, as the Messiah teaches us. The good news according to Luke. He also said this to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So we called him and said to him, 
What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. And then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my master is taking the stewardship away from me. I cannot dig. I am ashamed to beg. I have resolved what to do, that when I am put out of my stewardship, they may receive me into their homes. So he called every one of his master's debtors to him and said to the first, How much do you owe, my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. So he said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? So he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by righteous, unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into their, into their everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in, in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in, in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, he will love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one, he will despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Father, we come to you as learners, as students. We come and uh, sit humbly before your Son. And we pray that you will send his Spirit into our midst to be our teacher. We pray that uh, we will be stirred, that we will be challenged. And Lord, we ask that um, you'll give us the grace to listen, that you will truly reveal the secrets of our heart or the dark places of our heart. And Lord, we ask that you would give us grace to be obedient and to walk faithfully after Jesus. And we do ask this for his sake, that he would be glorified in our midst. Amen. Looking at um, the parable that we find in the book of Luke, and um, sometimes when we go around the country, I'll ask groups, that's something of a trick question, and I'll say, well, where does Jesus do his most creative theology? Well, where does Jesus do his theology? Well, and people will answer on the road, 
and the synagogue <clears throat> and the temple. And uh, I say no. Right? Jesus does his theology, so to speak, in parables. He does it in stories. And the parables that we have in Luke that appear in no other Gospels are parables that are quite shocking and uh, create some dissidence. For example, the parable that we just read about the dishonest or the crooked farm manager. I mean, is Jesus really praising dishonesty? And boy, folks, commentators will go to the most extraordinary lengths uh, to try to explain uh, this parable and why Jesus seems to be approving, yes, of this man's crookedness. But the parables, uh, well, there are other parables in Luke. There's, parable, there's a parable of two lost sons. Not one. One is wicked and rebellious, and the other is obedient, but he's obedient, and at the same time, he is resentful or bitter. Or we have the story of the friend at midnight who doesn't want to open up uh, to help a neighbor. Or the unjust judge, right? The widow who uh, appeals to a, a crooked mafia-style judge. So all of these parables, again, almost all of them, Lucan, uh, with maybe one or two exceptions, uh, all of these parables somehow um, highlight uh, the paradox, right, in human behavior, and sometimes a, um, a certain tension. And I think what's essential for us to probably grasp about the parables of Jesus is that while on one hand, the parable form, using a short story and taking images from everyday life. This is something very Jewish. It doesn't appear uh, outside of uh, uh, Jewish literature uh, for, for quite a long time. So you might say it's a Jewish literary uh, creation. And at the same time, there's nothing Jewish about the parables. There are no rabbis, there are no synagogues, there are no um, no Bible reading or worship. Um, it's, they're very universal. They're very universal. And so I think probably the best way into the parable is to um, uh, understand uh, first and foremost that the reason that the parables of Jesus uh, are so powerful, so shocking, um, and will be, I, I think, studied and uh, reflected upon, yeah, commented upon, commented on, uh, as long as we're here on this earth, is be simply because we, as human beings, um, we live off of narratives, we live off of images, we live off of symbols. We live off of stories, and all of these things can be, are, are often, 
almost always, more important to us uh, than, you might say, our theology or our philosophy or our worldview. That's why the parables of Jesus should be taken, I believe, you know, with the, perhaps with the utmost uh, seriousness. And so Jesus uh, lives at a time in the first century uh, when you have a lot of division amongst the Jewish people. And there was no such thing as Orthodox Judaism. Maybe you had a common Judaism, but you had many Jewish groups. Um, and uh, these Jewish groups are these different Jewish streams uh, oftentimes clashed with each other. And uh, Jesus, when he is uh, teaching and preaching, he often uh, encounters uh, these different Jewish approaches, and he has something uh, to say to each of the groups that he meets. The Zealots, for example, or the Sadducees, course, the Pharisees. And in this particular case, uh, I'd like to suggest, or or actually not me personally, but I agree with the suggestion of uh, the late great David Flusser, that actually Jesus is, uh, you might say, critiquing one particular group that we kind of think is odd and small and uh, perhaps probably ask ourselves, where do they appear uh, in the New Testament? And this would be the Essenes at Qumran. And um, if you want to ask, did Jesus ever go to Qumran? As lots of tourists will ask us, was Jesus ever there? And the answer is most likely no. But Qumran was simply the headquarters of a movement, a nationwide movement, Uh, or or different communities of Essenes. Uh, And they would have been found in Galilee, in Jerusalem, and uh, other places uh, all throughout the country. And um, again, you might ask yourself, okay, so what does this have to do with us? You know, Jesus was, these, these people were, Many times when people hear about the Essenes, they think, well, they're kind of weird and strange, and maybe they were even a cult. Listen, whether it's the Essenes or the Pharisees or the Zealots or the Sadducees, yes, all of those approaches are with us today. They're all found in our world, and they're all found within the church. And the critique and the comments that Jesus has on each one of these groups is still relevant for us, as I hope we'll see in a minute. Um, So what's wrong with them? I mean, after all, they had a high place for the Holy Spirit, unlike most Jewish groups. They really, really were in the Holy Spirit things. They really um, understood, at least they thought they did, spiritual warfare. Yes, the angels, demons, uh, etc., etc. They believed that they were living in the end days, and they needed to prepare for the last battle. They certainly didn't like free will, and you might say that they were Calvinists before John Calvinist ever ever came onto the scene. And most famously, yeah, something that was known all throughout the Roman world, 
They had incredibly tight communities and they were known, noted, for the way that they loved and supported and cared for each other. Yes, famous. So famous that, uh, you know, uh, you have uh, Roman historians writing about them. Um, and uh, again, what attracted, uh, what, at what attracted people was their community life or the way they shared all their goods or had all things in common. So what could be wrong with that? Well, while they loved each other, while they had a great affection for those in the group, they hated outsiders. They had a disdain and a, even almost a visceral hatred for those who were not part of their community, those who, that were not part of their group. They called them the sons of darkness. They considered themselves to be the sons of light. And to put it in the sort of the Christian language of our day, yes, everybody was going to hell except for them. If you didn't belong to their group, have you heard this before? You don't belong to our church. You don't accept our doctrine of justification. Whatever it may be, you're on uh, a road that's going to lead to someplace uh, bad. And by the way, this included Jews and Gentiles uh, alike. So you have this, on one hand, great love for the folks on the inside, and also uh, this, this great disdain uh, for those who are not part of the group. And I think first and foremost, the critique that Jesus has um, can be, is found in um, Matthew, a famous verse. Um, maybe most of you know this. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now nobody in the Jewish world in the time of Jesus went around preaching, hate your enemy. Even contrary to what you hear on YouTube sermons or uh, in uh, churches around the world where it's very often said, you see, Jesus preached love and those Jews were just uh, preaching hatred. No, that's a nonsense. Yes, there's nothing in Jewish literature, rabbinic literature, etc., etc., talks about hatred of one's enemy. It was, however, at Qumran, right? Those Essene communities, either at Qumran or around the country, again, uh, it was well known, yes, that they had this, uh, again, this sort of uh, hatred, disrespect for those who weren't part of their group. And Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Yes, not sons of light, sons of darkness, sons of your Father in heaven. Okay, he causes the sun to rise on the evil the, and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax collector, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, even just before we look at the parable for a minute, yes, 
you might think, okay, we don't do that, or do we? What kind of a world are we living in today where you have the rise of ethnic tension, where all you have to do is go on, open Facebook or open some Instagram, and you can see what kind of hatred and disrespect people have for each other. Yeah, they don't, they're not from my ethnic group. They don't believe in my doctrine. They don't believe in my politics. They don't support the Trump, the president. They, um, they love the president, whatever it may be. The issue in, in some ways isn't the issue. The issue is that we're living at a time of rising hatred and people are, there's an anger and a bitterness, yes? And if you don't belong to my group, well, you know, um, watch out. And again, the words of Jesus are words of warning. And of course, the tendency, is it not, is to want to kind of hang with our group. Yeah, the one I just hang out with people like us, or people that agree with us. We're only going to read, you know, a certain website because we don't like what the other people say, or we're only going to fellowship with certain people, or maybe we're only going to do business, you know, with people who vote like us. And this is the essence of the parable, because the parable, again, it is a critique and the critique is not just about the hatred uh, or the uh, towards outsiders. The critique in the parable is about the way that the Essenes, or they call themselves the Yahad, the way that they isolated themselves, right? Cut themselves off totally from society. Now, how do we know that? How do we know that the parable is about this? Well, very simply, what I think Professor Flusser of the Hebrew University noticed quite a long time ago was that the term sons of darkness and the term sons of light, which appear only here, I believe, in the New Testament, these terms are, ter are, are, are technical terms used by the group, used by the Essene group. And further, mammon was their word for money, okay? And the critique of Jesus is the following. Okay, you've cut yourself off from society. You've isolated yourself because people are wicked and people are impure. And therefore, what kind of influence do you have? Yes, how can you be salt and light to anyone? And so, I think the essence of the parable is Jesus is simply telling us that we, yes, uh, economically or socially, yes, we need to be involved or we need to participate uh, in society or in business in order to do what? Not to, in this case, not to make friends for ourselves with money, but instead to use money to use money, to use our social connections, uh, to use our day-to-day -day, uh, encounters with people, whether it's at a shop or dry cleaners or whatever it may be, to, to, again, to use that to be salt and light in the lives of those 
who don't believe and the lives of those who may really be perishing. And uh, if we want to cut ourselves off or isolate ourselves, um, which is the tendency, especially now, the world is very confusing and it's very chaotic and it's the days are evil. Yeah, but you see, money here isn't, we oftentimes when it comes to money, we think, it, it, should there be the prosperity gospel? Should there be the, you know, is there enough for me? What should my attitude be for my, actually Jesus takes it to another level. Like how are we going to use our resources? Yes, uh, you know, to, again, to be salt and light. And it's a scary world. It's a scary world. If we're going to, to be involved, if we're going to uh, connect, it's a risk. It's a risk on, on a number of levels. And it makes people afraid. And if it's fearful, I understand. Because you take a huge risk. Risk number one, and I've seen it uh, time after time after time, I hear somebody and they say, yes, the Lord is leading me into politics. And the Lord is leading me into the art world. And the Lord is leading me into the music world where I have a ministry. Fast forward and those people 10 years later, or one, no, very often find themselves, con uh, uh, find themselves uh, compromised or they become acculturated or they somehow allow the status quo uh, to, to go on, yes? And uh, instead of being in the world and not being of the world, they've come to a place where they very often love the world. Or, or we've come to a place where we can very often be compromised by our economic interests. I can't shake the tree or rock the boat you know, with my witness, because after all, it might affect my pocketbook. And secondly, you know, the world, and the spirit of the world, it's, it's incredibly powerful, is it not? It's incredibly powerful. And we take a risk, especially with families. If we, if you go to live in a closed community, or you go to live in a monastery, or you go to live in a, with some folks that are just totally cut off, well, very likely your children won't have problems with drugs or pornography. And the divorce rate will be low. Yes, and the human tragedy or the effects of sin are going to be less. So to put yourself out there is indeed scary and it's risky. And the question is, is it worth the risk? Well, maybe not everybody can do it, but is it worth the risk? And I would say yes, it is worth the risk because otherwise, as we read in the epistle, how will people come to know the truth and be saved? Yes, it is worth the risk. But it's only worth the risk if we prepare ourselves. Yes, it's only worth the risk if we strengthen ourselves. 
it's only worth the only worth the risk if our story yes the gospel story the jesus story the christian story call it what you want the biblical story is uh goes deeper than the story that the world has to tell us or the stories that we make up yes because we end up living by our story or to put it in another way a similar way yes uh, what what we love determines what we do so if i'm going to go into the world and be a witness <clears throat> and be in a difficult place and i am going to um stay strong and to stay on course yes then i better love something right more than i love the world that's why jesus says you can't serve two masters the context of the parable is still money yes you can't get your identity and your security from your career or from your finances right it has to actually um you know it has to come um from the uh you know from the world sorry it can't come uh from the world so what we love determines what we think it determines what we do um and therefore what would what can we suggest now the alternative right again to being 15 minutes with the lord and 3 hours on social media yeah it's not going to work yeah meaning ultimately we will become acculturated or we will become assimilated as yes, we'll fold in or we will be compromised but i'd like to suggest that what's critical and what sometimes is a critical and a missing piece in all this is indeed worship uh and the importance of worship because what happens with worship i believe actually uh, enables us to um you might say to strengthen or to to drive deeper or allows the gospel story the gospel message to go deeper and it's in worship that we uh, we can begin to love and to appreciate or adore uh adore the lord and it, it struck me by the reading the epistle um and again the the epistle reading i think is a very hopefully it's very instructive for us um especially for for many of us who think we're in the end days we might be we might not be it's only going to get worse you know this is the way it's supposed to be you know only evil 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 and that kind of pessimism drives us to pass to being passive yes meaning i'll just try to get my family saved and we'll stay safe you know until until jesus comes back But of course Paul has something surely has something else to say. He says I want people to pray. Yes, and of course this is 
This is our first and foremost duty when it comes to engaging with the, with the outside world. I want people to pray. There would be intercession and thanksgiving made for everyone, for kings, for those who are in, in, in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We're not praying for Gog and Magog. We're not praying for the temple to be rebuilt. We're not praying for the European Union or whatever to take over the world. Yes, we're praying, yeah, for an end to chaos, right? So that uh, people will come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, there might be chaos and there might be war, okay? But what we're to pray for, yes? And the context of all that prayer, Paul goes on to say, is that I want, Yeah, I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. Right? The context is worship. And Paul, when he talks about our relationship with the outside world and how we need to strengthen ourselves and again to make the story, the story of Jesus, right? To, to make it, you might say, more powerful or more real or stronger, more attractive than what the world will tell us is nicely summed up in Ephesians 5. And here he says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk on wine. Okay, well, most people here probably don't get drunk on, drunk on wine. Let's put it in a more modern 21st century way. Let's not get drunk on dopamine, yes? Being hours on Facebook, yes, releases dopamine, right? Being, um, uh, there are all kinds of things, yes, that um, stimulate us and actually end up becoming addictive. Yes, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, right? Speak to one another. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I should have read a little bit earlier. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Worship. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks, living in gratitude to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence, meaning that we're willing to listen to others and let them speak, uh, and let them speak into our lives. And finally, just to say that in all of this, I'd like to... Um, speaking about worship, um, maybe show my prejudice for ancient Christian wisdom or maybe ancient Jewish and Christian wisdom. Yes, that uh, when worship is God-centered um, 
And it is oftentimes liturgical, liturgical in the sense that we're not telling God uh, stuff about me, 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 and mine. We're not telling God stuff necessarily that we that He already knows. Uh, and I think where that happens in the most beautiful way, right, is in the celebration of communion, as we do here, and many churches do around the world. Basically, we are coming before the Lord. We are confessing. Um, we are listening to God's word, uh, and then. You know, as Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Yes, we are, you might say, participating, right, in the story of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. You say, well, how does that make sense? It makes sense because the, the Greek word for remember the Greek word for remember, anesis, is very simply is to recall the past, recall a past event as if it's present now. So none of, none of us say, oh, that stuff happened 3,000 years ago. It has nothing to do with us. No, we are celebrating. That's what the Eucharist means. We are celebrating in a joyful way, you know, what Jesus has done for us. Right? And how we participate uh, in that event. You, does it, is it repetitious? Yes, it's repetitious. Um, but at the same time, we need that repetition. We need to be reminded over and over and over again of reality. Because again, most of us are, most of us are being influenced by either Netflix or we're influenced by what's on the radio, or the books that we read, or the advertisements that we see, or even if we do none of those things and we live lives of great, you know, purity, we're still influenced by the spirit of the age. And if we don't allow God's story, the gospel story, to go deeper and deeper in our lives, not only through prayer or Bible study, but especially through worship, and we'll find ourselves, yes, we'll find ourselves engaging in the world, but at the same time uh, being defeated by the world. So I think the Lord has provided us, you know, with um, the weapons or the toolbox or the tools, whatever you might want to call them, to be able to take that risk, not to isolate ourselves, not to uh, hate unbelievers, not to only drink milk from a Christian cow, yes, but, or have the, the dentist drill John 3.16 on our teeth, right? Yeah. We can be courageous. We don't have to fear the world, but at the same time, we need to be cautious. And uh, that's what worship, uh, daily worship, um, along with Bible study and fellowship, um, is, a, is all essential for us. Let's pray. Father, we ask that uh, you will give us the wisdom, Lord, uh, to be uh, uh, wise as serpents and as harmless as doves with those who are outside our community. 
those who are in the world, those who don't believe or think like us. We pray that uh, you will allow us to be your witnesses, that you will give us the privilege of being salt and light. And Lord, we pray at the same time that you will keep us from being fearful, from being overwhelmed by the evil uh, in our day. And Lord, at the same time, we also pray that uh, you will make each one of us strong enough, Lord, so that we do not compromise um, and walk in a way or live in a way uh, which brings shame to you and uh, displeases um, you as well. And we do ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.